Hello, I'm Jill Baker. I'd like to welcome you to Hempson's series of Inquest podcasts with Liz Stokes and Elspeth Rose, who are both members of Hempson's healthcare advisory team. Liz and Elspeth cover Inquest across the north of England and have experience in various coroner's courts. These podcasts have taken listeners through the journey of an inquest, giving helpful background and advice. As usual, we'd love to hear from you with any comments you have or or suggestions for particular areas you'd like us to cover in the future. Simply email me at j.baker at hempstons.co.uk. So hello, Liz, and hello, Elspeth. Um, Welcome to the sixth and final podcast in this series. (laughs) I know it's hard to believe we've got this far really, isn't it? Um, The topic we're looking at today is Regulation 28 um, and PFD reports. Now, now straight away, I'm a little bit in the dark and I could do with a little bit of help. First of all, in knowing are Regulation 28 and PFD reports the same thing and what exactly are they? So, Elspeth, if I pass over to you to um, to sort of help me out, please. Of course. Yes. So, Regulation 28 and PFD reports are uh, one and the same. So, they're the same thing. And uh, the the language, if someone says Regulation 28 or PFD reports, they're referring to the same thing, but people use it, uh, the language interchangeably. PFD reports uh, stands for prevention of future deaths reports so that's why it's shortened to PFD reports. Now what they are so the coroner has an auxiliary duty um, to issue, issue a prevention of future deaths report where anything is revealed during the investigation so their coronial investigation or um, during the actual inquest hearing that gives rise to a concern of a risk of other deaths occurring or continuing to occur. So essentially, it's they're concerned about um, issues remaining that could lead to the death of other individuals. And it doesn't have to be in similar circumstances. It could be um, anything that's been revealed. So I I know that there's a sort of an example used in, in sort of the coronial bench books where they've said if there's an inquest where someone died um, uh, via hanging but there were firearms found somewhere else then although the death is via a different means there may be concerns relating to firearms being in in an area or uh, unsecured for instance so that just as an example could give rise to a prevention of future death support And it can be made at any time, although usually it tends to be um, if a coroner is going to issue a report, it would be made at the end of an inquest after they've heard all of the evidence. But if something was especially serious and the risk was really quite immediate, then they could um, actually issue it at any time um, and and make that decision to um, sort of trigger their duty and um, issue a prevention a future death report and then I suppose the the only other thing to to mention before we sort of go on is that um, it's this report um, it identifies areas of concern and why the coroner has those those concerns about potential future deaths occurring um, but it can't actually dictate what action the coroner thinks should be taken um, so it can suggest that it can be should be looked at and flag areas and um, but it can't say you must do xyz to mitigate that risk or or obviate that that risk um liz do you agree with that 
that description. <laughs> yes, I think my answer is yes. There's a couple of things, yeah, as well. That, um, you say that you mentioned that Regulation 28 can be issued any time during the proceedings. The coroners usually give an indication of any concerns that may give rise to a Regulation 28 report or PFD either during the inquest or at the beginning of the inquest, which allows an opportunity to, to, to address those issues. We'll come on to that again, I think, a bit later when we're talking about what you can do to avoid it. But you, you often get an indication of those issues. But like you say, they can be anything that doesn't necessarily be issues that are central to the to the inquest. If you've looked at the, the sort of the causes of death or they they can be quite far removed from that in terms mm -hmm. of um, particular issues. I think looking over the previous P, PFD reports that are issued and you can read them all online, that the issues that come up are often very similar. There are issues around record keeping or communication or around um, prescribing of drugs that the very similar issues that that are that where coroners may have concerns in the hospital mm -hmm. setting and obviously that will differ depending on the setting um but they are areas of concern that have been identified that ex exist or continue to exist that continue to give concern to a coroner and give risk of future death and that's obviously why they're called um prevention of future death reports but they have to identify um specific situations they have to identify a very specific risks and not just be vague and sort of mm -hmm. i've got a general concern about this they have to identify a very specific and current and ongoing risk is, is all mm -hmm. that. um you mentioned that the coroner issues them which which um they are issued at the end of an inquest even though they mm -hmm. might generally um and then whoever they're sent to is given um 56 days to respond so those reports can be written to any organisation who the coroner believes has the power to take action in respect of that issue. And the other important thing I think it's important to get across is that um, it's important to get clear who the right recipient of a Regulation 28 report should be. Definitely. Because if there are recommendations or suggestions made that someone can take action, it's important to know who the appropriate body mm. or organisation is rather than having um, a trust be asked to respond to an issue that is much wider is a national issue or policy issue um so in terms of who they're sent to it's important to identify that yeah well. oh definitely and even um a case i had last week was precisely that where i'm um identifying that actually it's a national issue and therefore um it's the the organization is a national organization rather than the local trust that has control and the the ability and the power to make any sort of changes that can trickle down. And I think that's really what we need to remember. The purpose of this is um, almost to to satisfy that that public duty, um, because obviously if coroners um, see something that gives them concern, then they they have a duty not only to to review and look at those specific circumstances, but obviously to kind of cascade that knowledge and try and improve things um, by alerting those that have the power to review the, the concerns and do something about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's about sharing the wider lessons. And I think that's is, when yeah. I'm talking to clients, it's often about it's the it's the bit within the inquest is about learning lessons and demonstrating mm -hmm. or being able to demonstrate by the time you get to the to the inquest that lessons have been learned and if yeah. there is a suggestion that those lessons haven't been identified or haven't been learned they, they are the issues that coroners will pick up and and 
disseminate more widely or either back to the organization itself or to other relevant organizations yeah and I think I suppose it then comes on to what are the implications of receiving a prevention of future deaths report um because the coroner will um once they've they've made their decision um to issue a prevention of future deaths report and who they're going to issue it to uh and they'll and they'll identify that um as we said usually at the end of an inquest but they then will send that report within 10 days of the either the inquest concluding or 10 days from the date at which they've decided that there's um an issue and a concern that they're then going to respond by issuing a PFD report. Um, and so, and then as Liz mentioned before, the recipient of that report has to reply within 56 days, um, essentially of the date of that report really, um, and include detail of the action that they've taken. Um, or if there's no action taken, e explaining why, um, why no action has been taken and it's not been deemed appropriate for instance and also a timetable for that action so there's actually sort of a measurable target um to improve um situations and a copy of that response is um sent to the chief coroner and that then feeds into this wider learning so that essentially um coroners are not then working in silo and, and trusts aren't working in silo in in their different sort of regions and part of the country actually there's sort of national learning and and uh, knowledge of trends possibly um that especially as as things develop different processes and different sort of scientific understanding of things um develops then you know you need to cascade the these this learning but obviously um the you know receiving a prevention of future deaths report um because it has to be responded to and responded to by someone quite senior um it can be someone quite high up in in the trust um can't it liz who who sort of actually yeah. Has to re respond yeah absolutely and it's often the chief executive who, who mm. needs to actually respond so I'm, I'm aware that some coroners consider that um, PFDs are not punitive are not intended to be punitive against against organizations but but there is a sense that if you have a regulation 20 report written to you um, it is in some way indicates that there's, there's something lacking and that's often the case there's also obviously implications for the CQC who, who, who are aware of mm. um, who will become aware of all potential future death reports and they are published as well and also, um, there are implications within for publicity in the press as well. I mean, I'm sure mm. you're aware of national prevention of future death reports. There was very wildly publicised ones for the case um, dealing with uh, food uh, labelling and pet manger some while ago. And mm. in terms of um, what the implications that might have for for press and publicity as well. So, although in some situations, a prevention of future death report might actually be welcomed as a sort of a um, instigator of action that needs to mm. be taken in in circumstances it it would always be I think our intention to try and prepare for the risk of a prevention of future death report before you actually get to an inquest mm. by having identified the issues that might attract a report and um, identifying what they are and taking 
the necessary action in order to provide assurances to the coroner that whoever we're representing has addressed them before you even get to the inquest itself so that there is no need then for a regulation 28 report to be issued to the trust or the other organization um that certainly i think would be my approach i don't know about oh absolutely it goes back to uh, preparation um, which i would say is probably the theme of these um podcasts but that that's definitely you know obviously we you ideally want to avoid a prevention future death support because the the whole basis of you know a coroner deciding um to issue one is because they think that this risk of deaths continues to this risk continues to exist so obviously we want to be learning lessons and and um implementing actions to reduce the risk if if we can't completely gate it um and so essentially again it just goes back to preparation making sure that lessons have been learned and things have been understood um and everyone kind of knows yeah and that's what. most often in my experience done by the trust of the investigation that's done internally and they are mm. most often the starting point to identify um any faults or, or issues that have been um within the cause of the death or within even aside from that things like communication or record keeping or anything or more fundamental issues and then identified the actions that are required to address those issues and being able to provide clear updated action plan and details yeah. of what actions being taken i mean i think i think uh, i've been involved in at least one inquest where preparation ahead of the inquest itself and a provision of a further witness statement in relation to just regulation 28 issues has avoided the need for them to even attend the inquest because mm. if, we, if you're in a position to provide really comprehensive full information about the actions have been taken um that regulation 28 risk whilst not disappeared altogether is definitely going to be minimized and it's definitely going to be less of a risk so you're right i think preparation is key in about identifying at an early stage um what the issues are and making sure that the details are absolutely clear rather than just a vague we've got a vague idea to do this to actually be able to provide sort of key dates and key um bits of information that are needed to say well this is this is what we've identified and this mm. is the, the action we've taken to address this so that by the time you get to the inquest hearing you can say to the coroner well we've learned the lessons we we appreciate that was an issue if there was one um, um and we're as sure as we can be um that that risk doesn't continue to exist yeah that's interesting it takes you back as well I mean, you talked about the whole theme about preparation but actually the communication is incredibly yeah. important as well isn't it with these pfds you know making sure that you are communicating with the people that can take action you know the yeah. whole idea of being somebody and senior within the organization etc yeah and jill you've just uh, sort of reminded that ultimately the the coroner will make that decision based on the information they they have before them and they should really consider all of the information but it's it's um really my point is it's not helpful if, if you have a wonderful um new policy that's been embedded and implemented and audited but we don't present that to the coroner because um for whatever reason it hasn't been you know informed to your your lawyers that that it exists then the coroner doesn't know about that and therefore you know there, there's a risk of it so it's it's really making sure that you are giving your lawyers or whoever's representing you 
all the information possible so we can put our best foot forward um, on your behalf really. And, and just on that point of communication as well around it's all very well having a very high flying well drafted policy but if then you've got other witnesses attending who are involved in implementing that policy if they are not aware mm. of, of that action it's, it again comes down to communication to make sure that everyone is aware of, of, of those actions that are being taken um, yeah. at all levels basically. Yeah that's helpful isn't it it's amazing how we always seem to go back to these themes of preparation and communication and um, that's true in many aspects of life not only in quests <laughs> isn't it as I think as, as we all know. Um, so just to sort of help towards the end of um, this particular podcast and of course the series what exactly happens at the end of an inquest it'd be quite useful to have your your sort of views on that. Yeah so I mean from my experience and Liz jump in whenever but what will happen is so you've heard through the podcast um podcast series about um the the coroner hearing the evidence or admitting evidence through documentary form and questions being asked so once all of that evidence has been admitted and or heard then the coroner will ask for submissions uh, in relation to what we suggest is the appropriate conclusion, whether that's a short form conclusion, as we heard in previous podcasts, or a narrative conclusion. So they'll hear different submissions. They'll also hear submissions on whether uh, there's a need for a prevention of future death report or not. They'll hear submissions on uh, a rider of neglect, if applicable in those circumstances, or, or not. And so once they've heard, so they've heard all the evidence, they've heard all of these submissions, the coroner will then uh, essentially retire and consider all their findings and their conclusion. And really what I mean by retire is the the inquest is adjourned. Um, sometimes if it's maybe like a one day inquest, then you might have sort of a half an hour to an hour sort of uh, break essentially so the coroner is is collecting their thoughts and and typing up their notes but if it's a complex inquest it could be quite a few days for the coroner to to come to those decisions and then the coroner will ask everyone to return the coroner will return and then we just sit and listen and type what they say because they will be giving their findings, so what they have found from the evidence on the balance of probabilities, and then they will say what the medical cause of death is, what conclusion they're going to find, and then they will also let you know if there's going to be a prevention of future death report or not. And, and like Liz mentioned earlier, they may have indicated earlier whether or not that's that's necessary, so you may already know the answer to that. And then that is the end of the inquest and the family will get this form to this record of inquest and uh, the interested parties can seek it uh, as well. And it will be um, sent, you know, maybe a few days, few weeks uh, after the inquest. But usually you have your representative there who can relay what's what's happened and what's been said and found. Is there anything I've missed from there? Probably something really obvious, Liz. <laughs> no, I don't think you have. I think, um, again, it goes back at the end of the inquest. It just um, putting the family back at the centre of it, isn't it? The coroners will often appreciate the fact that the family have been involved and also the 
any clinicians or witnesses as well. Um, and, and that is essentially it from the point of view um, of the hearing. In terms of any follow-up afterwards, there's often um, short debriefs, depending on the complexity of the inquest, um, with those witnesses who have been involved. If it's been a particularly hard inquest, there might be more of a debrief than, than if it's been a relatively straightforward um, inquest. But essentially, that's the, essentially, that's the end of the, the, the inquest. Um, we mentioned in Reg 28 that you know, learning is taken forward and it's really important to, to pick up any points that have come out and just make sure again they're communicated back to the organisation if necessary and then and then yeah that would probably be it in terms of the inquest itself. Mm. Yeah thank you thank you so we um we finished not only this podcast but we we finished this sort of our first series of six where we've looked at the journey of, um, of an inquest. So thank you very much to Liz and thank you very much to Elspeth. Um, we are looking at holding or, or sort of producing a series two, perhaps later on in the year. And at the moment, the thoughts seem to be perhaps looking at inquests in different settings. So perhaps, um, you know, inquests and um, deaths that may have happened in, um, in, in care homes, for example. So social care providers may find that of interest or um, perhaps where GPs particularly get involved in inquests. Those are a couple of our ideas, but please do come back to me as usual. If you've got any thoughts yourselves or you have any sort of questions for Liz and Elspeth, we can certainly keep the dialogue going um, before I bring these two ladies back on air later on in the year. So my email address is j.baker at hempstons.co.uk. Goodbye from the three of us. Bye. Thank you. Thank bye. You.